You are now listening to the Inner Circle Podcast Network. Wah, bitches. What is good today? Welcome, one and all, to Abacabo Cafe. This is the English language Kimagure Orange Road podcast. I am the host of this fine program. My name is Jason Almy, and I want to welcome you guys to the podcast today. Thank you very much for tuning in, because today we're going to be talking all about television episode 45, entitled Shikaru Passes Away. And then there were none. This episode originally aired February 15th of 1988, and it was directed by Kobayashi Kazuhiko. And this is wild because Kobayashi has only directed two previous episodes prior to 45. Kobayashi directed episode one. Kobayashi also directed episode 33, which was the Mushroom of Truth episode, of course. And that's it. Hasn't directed an episode since 33, and the only one before that was episode one. Today's episode was written by Ohashi Yukiyoshi, who, on the other hand, has written quite a few episodes, 10 episodes, in fact, including this one. Also, Ohashi has written some of the goofier episodes, like the UFO one, the one where Ayukawa has to fight the Sukeban, uh, despite having the injury in her arms up in a sling, and she's on crutches. She just drops all that shit at the end of the episode, and is like, ah, I'm not injured after all, and just beats the shit out of all of them. Ohashi also wrote the Mushroom of Truth episode, and this episode is in keeping with some of those goofier episodes, especially the back half of this episode. As this episode reaches its zenith, it does get pretty wacky. Ohashi most recently wrote episode 42, which was the much maligned lesbian episode. The lesbian was maligned, not the episode. I think the episode uh, gets what it deserves more or less. But uh, this this opportunity to present us with a, a nuanced and humane uh, portrayal of a lesbian character was uh, fumbled somewhat. With today's episode, we get another episode in which 
Shikaru Chan is dying, or maybe she's already dead. I'm thinking, didn't they already do this shit in episode 10? And again, today, just like in episode 10, she catches a cold. And I'm wondering, how's a cold going to kill a healthy teenager? Like she gets the sniffles and next she's dead. Doesn't make a lot of sense to me. I guess it could happen. But, you know, if you're going to kill the character off uh, a car accident, you know, getting run over, that seems a little bit more likely to me. If you're going to suddenly kill off one of the characters, Shikaru dying from a runny nose. I, I don't know how much I'm buying that. But there is the question, could this possibly be? The way they're going to wrap this show up. I mean, the series end is approaching. We only have a few episodes left. And knowing that going into this episode for your first time, you might think, well, hell, they're just going to kill off Shikaru. And that's how they resolve the triangle. I mean, it's it's a plausible scenario. So much so that I even thought 25 years ago when I saw this episode for the first time that maybe maybe that's how it ends. Maybe they're just going to kill her off and then... They got a few episodes left to kind of resolve the character's grief and and other feelings, and then they're going to put a bow on the Ayuko Akasuga relationship. But honestly, I think it would be kind of a cop-out to kill off one of the characters and resolve the triangle like that. It's also a little too tragic way to end the show, this show at least. The general tone of Orange Road I don't think can sustain the level of tragedy of killing off one of the main characters who happens to be a 15-year-old girl. If Ayukawa and Kasuga were to get together after Shikaru dying, it's like fate removing all agency from Kasuga in choosing between the girls because he would be choosing Ayukawa by default because she's his only living option at that point. But I will say it's a good place in the series to pull a fake out death of a main character though when you're watching episode 10 nobody thinks shikaru is going to die with 38 episodes left to go no audience member in their right mind is thinking that it's remotely possible that they're going to kill this character off on episode 10 but with only a few episodes left i mean you could whack out a main character it happens in plenty of other shows again they're shows with different tones and vibes than orange road but it does happen and with the winter beach episode recently as well as this one there is lately an increased focus on shikaru's character that episode is as well as this one very much concerned kasuga's feelings toward shikaru and i think it's not a coincidence that as we're getting towards the end of the series they want to start exploring how these feelings might resolve. So these episodes seem to explore and even elevate Shikaru's perspective, her point of view. After quite a few episodes where her character really took a backseat to Ayukawa and Kasuka's developing romance, I'm thinking about the, the episodes of the 30s. Shikaru didn't have a whole lot to add in those episodes and really spent a lot of those episodes looking on kind of... Uh, Blissfully unaware, I suppose, as Ayukawa was skateboarding down a construction site and then collapsing in Kasuga's arms. Shikaru's just dancing around kind of conveniently, not paying any attention to that. She's sort of sidelined by the authors. They're not, they're not giving her the opportunity to react or respond to this stuff. But here, she's got more opportunity to play into the story and have more of an emotional impact on the other characters, specifically Kasuga. 
And to wit, this episode opens with images of Shikaru running down the hallway at school, and she's looking as healthy and bubbly as ever. However, there is an audio cue that one might consider foreshadowing. As we're shown the title card for the episode, we hear the ominous sound of crows, which overlaps ever so slightly with our opening shot of Shikaru. It's called an L cut, and it's where the audio continues even after the video has cut. So the image cuts to the next scene, but we get a little bit of the audio carrying over from the previous scene. So we still get to hear those crows a little bit as we see our opening. Shikaru is running down the hallway to give Kasuga their exchange diary, which is actually a pretty sweet idea. My wife and I, in fact, have done something very similar. We bought a small book that we could write notes in and and leave out for each other. Uh, The idea has probably been almost unanimously overtaken by digital communication, things like email, DMs, texting. It's so much easier to do with everybody owning a smartphone. But I actually think it's still, especially so in this day and age, I still think it's very nice to handwrite a sweet message to your person. However, here Kasuga shows that he's clearly uncomfortable with the idea. It's very much the type of thing that your asshole friends would bust your balls about as a teenager. They would poke fun at you which is exactly what Komatsu and Hata proceed to do. There is a genius moment of some playfulness with one of the established stylistic staples of Orange Road. In every episode, Kasuga provides some voiceover in a black-framed freeze-frame image. Every episode he does this. The image freezes, the camera pulls back, we see a black frame around whatever's frozen in the center of the screen, we hear a little bit of voiceover from Kasuga. He's usually telling us how he feels about something in that moment. But as Komatsu and Hata are giving him shit about the exchange diary, we cut to Hata surrounded by the very same black frame, and he's doing a damn fine impression of a Kasuga voiceover. Hata narrates as if he was Kasuga, explaining that he felt embarrassed in that moment. And he even uses the wakeda grammar like Kasuga always does. And in the next cut, we pull back to see Kasuga's reaction. And we notice that Hata is holding a wide black frame around his face. It's an extremely meta reference to this stylistic composition that's become a trope of of the Orange Road narrative. It's as if Hata is openly acknowledging that narrative element that he really shouldn't be aware of because the black framed voiceover freeze frames only exist for the audience watching the show. It's part of the presentation of the narrative for us, the audience. It's not something that the other characters should be noticing. Characters in film, in television, they don't notice freeze frames. Black boxes don't appear around your field of vision while the world freezes every time a character has a thought. It's not something that they should be able to interact with. And yet Hata shows us that he is 
completely aware as a character within this diegesis of this narrative element that really only the audience should be aware of. So it's kind of this genius deconstruction of a well-established narrative element that has, at this point, just become a standard of the show. It's probably, for most of us viewers, sort of faded into the background. It's not something that we really consciously notice anymore because it's part of how Kasuga presents his inner world and what he's thinking and feeling in, in a moment. But but they they totally upend it by bringing this black box voiceover into the diegesis, and they kind of make fun of it here. So anybody who had a complaint about this, and there are a few people that that complain on the internet about the freeze frames with the black framing and the, the voiceover and how it just detracts from the story for them. Here, they're poking fun at this, and it was a pretty genius gag. Of course, Ayukawa also notices the exchange diary, and it's no accident that she gives the exact same line as Komatsu. And Yusaku naturally wants in on the exchange diary, of course. Is that because he loves Shikaru and wants to exchange with her? Or is it because it would actually be a semi-acceptable way to have an exchange diary with his true love, Kasuga? It may be telling that Yusaku specifically asks to make it a group exchange diary rather than to exclude Kasuga. Wouldn't you think he'd want to exclude Kasuga if he just wants it to be him and Shikaru? He wants Kasuga still involved. So maybe he's more open to his feelings for Kasuga here, or so it would seem. Shikaru suggests that he go make a diary by himself with his crayons, which is like super insulting. It, it completely infantilizes him. Like, go play with your crayons, you idiot. We get this playful cutaway uh, to what would appear to be a crayon picture diary as kept by Yusaku, complete with this childish scrawl, terrible penmanship, and a picture of this ogreish Shikaru physically abusing Yusaku, which we're going to see more of in episodes 47 and 48. Of course, he's dealt with this most of his life. But I got to say, at this point in the episode, I'm feeling very relatable to Kasuga's predicament because feeling pressured into some lovey shit like that exchange diary, especially given that Kasuga doesn't really feel that way about Shikaru, is pretty relatable. You can imagine how that feels, kind of embarrassing, but he also didn't feel like he could say no. It's more evidence that he's a people pleaser. He agrees to do this exchange diary because it's something that Shikaru wants to do, It's not really something he wants to do, but he says yes anyway. He allows himself to be talked into this kind of thing because he doesn't want to hurt her feelings or rock the boat. It's something that she wants to do, so he assents to it, but then he's got to pay when his friends make fun of him. But I feel like it would really be embarrassing. It seems a little contrived to me that Shikaru would volunteer that they read their exchange diary to Ayukawa as a gesture of gratitude for Ayukawa cooking for them. Ayukawa offered to make them uh, some meals to try out some new menu items on them, and Shikaru thinks it would be appropriate to read their exchange diary to Ayukawa as a way of saying thank you, but honestly, a card would work too. With a single look at Kasuga, Ayukawa makes it crystal clear that she doesn't want to hear that shit. To me, it doesn't seem like Kasuga would be unreasonable to expect a bit of privacy with such a journal. And given that Shikaru does whatever Kasuga says, it seems like Kasuga could avoid the whole love journal reading just by saying, no, I don't want to do that. 
It's not like Ayuka was going to press the issue either. Next, we cut to Kasuga in his bedroom in what we later learn is a pivotally important scene for this episode. He's actually fantasizing about himself and Ayuka alone doing lovey-dovey shit like feeding each other. So it's not that he has some fundamental problem with cutesy shit. He just wants to do that stuff with Ayukawa. He doesn't really want to do that stuff with Shikaru. Doing the love journal with Shikaru is embarrassing. It's mortifying. His friends make fun of him. Ayukawa notices. But doing lovey shit like feeding each other simultaneously with Ayukawa, that's a fantasy for him. The crucially important aspect of this scene is Kasuga vocalizing his wish that Shikaru's illness would at least temporarily take her out of the picture. A quick cutaway to a foot in Kasuga's doorway just before his door quietly closes tells us that Kasuga was overheard when he vocalized that. Now, several times I have said that it sometimes seems like the filmmakers want to portray Kasuga as truly not being able to decide between Ayukawa and Shikaru, as if he's persisting in the love triangle because he really can't decide which of the two girls he wants to be with. But I think that's baloney because it's abundantly clear time and again, which girl Kasuga prefers. And this scene is yet more evidence that Kasuga wants to be with Ayukawa and he knows it. He's open with himself about wanting Shikaru out of the picture so that he can spend the day doing lovey shit with Ayukawa. He's literally wishing for Shikaru to not be around so that he can hang out with Ayukawa solo. And they expect me to believe that Kasuga's indecisive, that he can't decide between the two girls? I'm calling bullshit. So, of course, it was the twins who overheard Kasuga wishing that Shikaru's illness would keep her out for the day tomorrow, and... Our next cut is, of course, to an establishing shot of the schoolyard through the window of the classroom, as if it's the next day. However, we're immediately bombarded with the sounds and images of ravens or crows, and they serve as our first grim indication that something is amiss. It is with this shot that we have entered the dream that Kasuga is having in this episode, as induced by the twins and Ojisan. Now, Kasuga's not feeling well. Maybe he caught the bug that Shikaru had the day before. Perfectly valid possibility. Our very next image is one of the crows flying into the window. And that should be a clear indication that things are off. We've entered this dream reality. And is this dream reality that we're about to see... Is it meant to be an accurate reflection of what things would be like were Shikaru to die? Would all of the characters really react in the ways that we see? It's a question that I'll return to at the end of this episode. When Kasuga first encounters Komatsu and Hata, they're serious. They're respectful. They're definitely not themselves. Komatsu mentions that Shikaru was offed by a cold, again, killed by a sniffle. Kasuga drops his bag, and we get a close-up shot of it landing. Of course, the exchange diary slides out with a few other books, and it's a reminder to us that Kasuga had hoped for her illness, that her death brings with it a little bit of convenience for Kasuga. He certainly didn't want her to die, and yet it achieved his end, not having to read the diary to Ayukawa. 
But we see hyperbole early on. On their way to the funeral, Casca learns that Japan declared a national day of mourning for Shikaru's death. Businesses and schools are closed. Shikaru's funeral has more attendees than Biggie's and Tupac's combined. Now, Kasuga is asked to eulogize despite not knowing Shikaru was dead an hour earlier. It seems strange to me that Kasuga seems to handle her death rather well. At school, he's upset for a moment, but then he accepts that it's true, and he becomes almost more concerned about Ayukawa. Her grief seems more painful to Kasuga than Shikaru's death. Even as Takashi is telling him to remain composed, Kasuga seems pretty composed. And Kasuga even shows concern for Yusaku here. He seems worried about Yusaku's feelings almost more than he feels bereaved himself. Shikaru's funeral procession even has a small orchestra playing funerary music. It means that the music that accompanies this scene is diegetic. It exists within the world of the narrative in addition to shaping the mood for the audience. With her funeral procession, we see images of a graveyard in the winter. We pan across barren, lifeless trees, and we pan across headstones, many of which contain Christian imagery of the cross. We hear Shikaru's coffin lid creak closed. We see it lowered into her grave. We hear the earth hitting her coffin as they fill the grave back in. It's all very macabre. As with episode 43, it's kind of a serious tone that they're creating here. There's not a lot of room for humor in this sequence. And this is especially true because at this point, they're trying to fake us out. This serious tone and this legitimate attempt at a fake out is going to give way towards the latter part of the episode to some really ridiculous shit, including an Uma Anushko cameo that really doesn't seem appropriate for a major character's death. But here is where they're going to start transitioning away from the more serious tone. After the funeral, shit really starts to change. Shikaru is portrayed as like a mortar that held the whole cast together. But is this really the case? Hata declares that their best days are behind them. Seishun is over for them. Komatsu and Hata decide to take their education more seriously. They decide to go from shithead losers to serious students. Just before Hata and Komatsu run off to find a cram school, some dried leaves blow across the screen. We hear a little audio cue of the wind blowing. It's a subtle effect. We fade to black before cutting to the top of the 99 and a half stairs where Ayukawa decides to leave for America the next day. Paradoxically, she ends her relationship with Kasuga now that he's perfectly available. I say paradoxically because Shikaru was the element that functions throughout the narrative of Orange Road to keep them apart. She's there to keep the Kasuga and Ayukua romance in a will-they-won't-they kind of stage, especially in the past 10 or 12 episodes. I'm reminded of the New Year's episode where Kasuga is with Ayukua the whole time. He thinks he's hypnotized her. She's not really hypnotized. She's just going along with it because she wants to spend New Year's with Kasuga. And then they all go to the shrine at the end, and Ayukawa and Kasuga are running around playfully. Kasuga's chasing Ayukawa because he realizes that she wasn't hypnotized. She fooled him. 
And then Shikaru is just wondering, what the hell are you two doing? And that's what I mean. Shikaru is this element, these last 10 or 12 episodes that really just existed as a buffer between Kasuga and Ayukuen for her to pass away. It means that Ayukuen and Kasuga could proceed with a relationship, maybe not immediately because that does seem a little bit bad, but after a period of mourning, I mean, they're close friends with the deceased. It seems natural that they would lean on each other and support each other, but here they don't. Obviously, this is a nightmare scenario for Kasuga, and he has to lose Ayukawa as well. So even though Shikaru is no longer an impediment to their relationship after her death, she nonetheless drives Ayukawa away from Kasuga one final time, one permanent time. You have to wonder if Ayukawa's interest in Kasuga was piqued by his unavailability, like she wanted him because she couldn't really have him, at least not entirely. And it's a fascinating question that was previously unexplored in this show, with implications regarding Ayukawa's psychology. She wants Kasuga as long as Shikaru also wants him, but when Shikaru's out of the picture and Kasuga is potentially available for a relationship in the future, she's happy to bounce. And Ayukawa even admits as much. She says maybe she only liked him because Shikaru was around trying to date him as well. An alternative that's unsaid but certainly plausible is that perhaps Ayukawa would feel guilty being with Kasuga in light of Shikaru's passing. I mentioned a moment ago they'd probably want to wait a little while before getting together officially, but maybe she feels like getting with Kasuga at this point would be benefiting from the death of her closest friend. So I could see that as a plausible reason why Ayukua feels completely uncomfortable being with Kasuga after Shikaru passed away. And just as Ayukua tells Kasuga that their relationship is over, we again see some dried leaves blow across the screen. Again, it's subtle. You may not even notice it. Next, we see Kasuga Takashi as he's cutting apart his negatives. He'll never be able to print them again. He's quitting his photography career. He's leaving photography behind. Even though he only photographed her once that we know of, it would seem that Shikaru was kind of a muse for Takashi. And just after Takashi announces that he's quit photography, we yet again see some dried leaves blow across the screen. This is obviously becoming a thing with each of the characters as they announce to Kasuga that they're moving on with their lives. It made sense in Kasuga's encounters with Ayukua and Komatsu and Hata. Those were outdoors. That's where leaves tend to blow through the air. You know where leaves aren't blown through the air? Inside a Japanese apartment. There's no leaves. There's no wind. Even more ridiculous is the twins deciding to become Buddhist nuns. It's kind of ridiculous seeing them with the shaved heads in that big hair era of the 80s where everybody's head is just humongous. Now they've got no hair. They've got these big-ass alien-looking heads. And just as Jingoro rings a a Buddhist standing or uh, inverted bell, another inexplicable indoor breeze blows dead leaves across the screen yet again. Speaking of inexplicable, how is a cat supposed to ring a bell like that? He can't even hold the striker. With the leaves blowing inside and the twins shaving their heads to become nuns and Jingoro using tools despite his lack of opposable thumbs, the characters' responses to Shikaru's passing 
are getting increasingly ridiculous. As if to prove my point, Kobayashi immediately cuts to a wrecking ball, demolishing Abakabu. When a business closes, usually they just move out of the building. This motherfucker took the whole fucking block out in his grief. Even Kasuga says there's no need to demolish it. He's beginning to register, even in his dream, how ridiculous this whole scenario is becoming. Yusaku resolves to become a wandering martial artist or some shit. He's going to be a repressed homosexual Kwai Chang Kane or something. Everybody seems to be moving on around Kasuga in drastic, extreme ways. It's not just Ayukua breaking up with Kasuga. It's everybody's bouncing out of his life. He can't even go get coffee at his favorite coffee shop anymore. The place is rubble now. At this point, Kasuga acknowledges something that I mentioned a few minutes ago, and that is that Shikaru is this kind of social adhesive that kept all of these characters together for so long. But if that's true, then how is this show ever supposed to resolve with Ayuku and Kasuga getting together? How can they excise the person who is the mortar holding all of the characters together in this social circle? In our next cut, we see the gang inexplicably together again. Minus Shikaru, of course. Ayuku is in her funeral costume, and the twins have hair again, and Abakabu is standing again. So this must be a flashback within a dream to the moments after Shikaru's funeral, prior to the gang all breaking up and Abakabu getting raised. All the characters are in the throes of their grief when Shikaru's spirit enters, glowing radiantly, and encourages everybody to cheer up. At first, the gang do not appear to see or hear her. She's in the spirit realm now. She's incorporeal. Then Komatsu, of all people, suddenly turns to her and grabs her hands and remarks that it's just like Shikaru to be unfazed at being dead. Komatsu, of all people, is able to see and interact with her spirit. Back in the present, within the dream at least, Kasuga laments wishing that Shikaru's cold would get worse. Only at this point does he seem to register the sense of guilt that her death may be connected to his wish that her illness would get worse. Kasuga then takes it upon himself, make things right by bringing her back to life. He's got ESP after all. His initial attempts just destroy her headstone in what's meant to be a dramatic moment, with this dramatic music as her headstone crumbles and breaks into pieces as he's concentrating his power. Realizing that's not going to work, he next makes several attempts to time slip by throwing himself down the 99 and a half stairs. Now, when he fails to resurrect her, he settles for the Edgar Allan Poe approach and just digs her up. This episode presents an odd juxtaposition. This sequence of Kasuga experiencing real grief, his expression of loss is so genuine There's drama in the destruction of her headstone via the power, and digging her up is beyond macabre. But that comes after the ridiculous sequence in which all of the characters go their separate ways and Abakabu is destroyed. So we get this serious sequence right after this comically over-the-top ridiculous sequence. So this episode is walking a fine line between typical Orange Road cheeky humor and an honest attempt at portraying Kasuga's pain and guilt. 
Oji-san next appears in disguise. He's promising to return Shikata to life if Kasuga can dig through a really spooky mountain within a week. Oji-san's garb here is notable. The imagery connected with the funeral and the graves has been decidedly Western thus far. And Oji-san appears wearing something that looks like he stole from the Benjamin Franklin Museum. It's definitely a Western outfit. And the mountain itself kind of came out of nowhere. We've never seen a big-ass Dracula-looking mountain in Casca's town before. It's got bats and shit flying around it. This is where it should really become obvious to first-time viewers and or a dimwit like Casca that we have been inside a dream for this entire episode mostly. The appearance of Umao and Ushko as miners tunneling through this same spooky-ass Dracula mountain is another ridiculous element that's juxtaposed against the more serious presentation of Kasuga's desperation to return Shikaru to life. It's especially weird that Umao and Ushko would appear within Kasuga's dream. I guess perhaps he's encountered them enough times that his subconscious is able to populate his dream with them. And he usually doesn't pay them any mind. The dream ends by veering back towards the ridiculous when Casca finally digs through to Shikaru's spirit. She's dressed in a toga, similar to episode 42, the, uh, the magical watch episode. There's a dream sequence near the end of that episode where she is costumed similarly. There's a funny role reversal here where Casca sees Shikaru and he jumps through the air, presumably for her to catch him. As she always does in other episodes, she always jumps into his arms. And so this is kind of an amusing and and somewhat clever role reversal. And then he wakes up. He abuses the shit out of his grandpa. I like that they immediately get into a kind of a fisticuffs. But then he throws Oji-san off of him and goes bolting looking for Shikaru. There's this brief period of this episode where Kasuga experiences an extreme urgency to find Shikaru. He wants to make sure she's okay, but Ayukua mentioned that Shikaru was saying goodbye. That seemed to trigger Kasuga into thinking that maybe she's in some kind of danger still, that his dream might come true. Ayukua mentions Shikaru's parting ceremony and that it's time for her to say goodbye. This all sounds like maybe she's resolved to commit suicide. That seems to be Kasuga's interpretation. Or it could be read as she's ending things with Kasuga, which seems to be how Ayukua and Yusaku interpreted it. Ayukua even asks Kasuga if it would really be a problem if Shikaru left him, implying that if Shikaru breaks up with Kasuga, they would be free to date. It turns out Shikaru is just saying goodbye to her childhood. It's in keeping with the overarching themes for Orange Road, that end of childhood, that adolescence, the transition into adulthood. Like most young people, Shikaru doesn't want to be seen as a child. She wants to be seen as an adult. So she discards these symbols of her childhood, at least temporarily. She makes Yusaku fetch him in a moment. And at this point, we get a rare mutual embrace between Kasuga and Shikaru. Usually Shikaru's throwing her arms around Kasuga and he's trying not to touch her and leaning back away from her. He's got this different body language most of the time where he doesn't want to seem like he's all over her either because Ayuko is watching. Here, he doesn't care. He's too relieved that she's breathing still. 
to care. So he wraps his arms around her as well. This is one of the few points in the show where it actually does seem like Shikaru might pose a modicum of competition for Ayukawa, along with the resolution of the Winter Beach episode. That's another episode where Kasuga really does seem very happy to be with Shikaru again. Here it seems like thinking that he lost Shikaru reveals to Kasuga how much he really values her. Of course, Ayukawa responds as she usually does. She uses her body language to tell Kasuga that she doesn't approve, but for today, Kasuga doesn't care. Our episode-ending photograph is of Kasuga and Shikaru embracing while Ayukawa looks salty about it. But, very interestingly, the dead leaves that we saw blow across the screen several times earlier in the episode now fall to rest on the photograph at the end of the episode. What does this mean? It's the only time that some object interacts with the ending photo. Every other time we see the episode ending photo by itself against a black background. Here we're seeing another object interact with it. And the leaves are not bright fall colors. They're not happy oranges or reds. They're dull. They're dead looking. One of the leaves rests on top of Kasuga embracing Shikaru. And the other leaf lands between Ayukua and the Kasuga-Shikaru couple. So it's almost like a visual cue that separates Ayukua from Kasuga and Shikaru embracing. I don't know if it's meant to be a grim reminder that the love triangle is bound to end at some point. Like all things, it can't persist forever. There's a lot to say about this episode. I wondered, is this episode an allegory for the loss of Shikaru in a less lethal sense? That Kasuga is going to eventually, and probably pretty soon, since there's only a few episodes left, lose Shikaru. Not because Shikaru died, but because the love triangle will resolve, and at minimum, he will have to achieve some distance between himself and Shikaru. Kasuga, in this episode, knows that he wants Shikaru out of the picture so that he can be with Ayukawa. Therefore, he must know that he's going to lose Shikaru at some point. Despite being an impediment between Ayukawa and Kasuga's relationship, she really does have some amazing qualities. She's very cheerful. She's very loyal. She's kind to her friends, at least. She can be pretty damn mean if she doesn't know you. But there's a a sense of appreciating something or someone after you lose them, that this episode is is showing us. That maybe Akasuga wants to be with Ayukua very much. She is the person that he would choose, and yet he is going to miss things about Shikaru when she's gone. I think there's also a, maybe a subconscious expression of Kasuga's overall regret. I mean, he regretted that he he wished she would get sicker, but I think maybe there's this subconscious element to his dream narrative that acts as a, an expression that, that he regrets that he couldn't love Shikaru the way he loves Ayukua. It makes me wonder how much the twins and Ojisan are driving the events of this dream. How much are they writing the narrative versus Kasuga's subconscious filling it in? Because Kasuga realizes all of the wonderful things about Shikaru, and yet he still loves Ayukua. He still prefers Ayukua. So undoubtedly, some of his guilt stems from not loving Shikaru, despite how amazing she's been to him overall. 
In Kanzinger's defense, he was just wishing for Shikaru to stay at home. He didn't want her to die. And apparently manipulating someone's dream is an esper power available to the Kasugas now. Presumably it requires some skill to pull off, and that's probably why the twins had to enlist Oji-san. But at any rate, it's a rare happy ending for Shikaru. And kind of a light episode for Ayukua fans. She doesn't play a huge role. It's a little bit of a reversal for those two. Usually Ayukua is at the forefront and Shikaru's kind of in the background. And they've traded places for this episode. It's a happy ending for Shikaru because Kasuga seems happy to be holding her. Despite Ayukua's disapproval. Because Ayukua is usually so tolerant of the love triangle dynamic, Kasuga here is willing to lean on that credit a little bit. And now that we've reached the end of today's podcast, I have to wonder again if the dream narrative that Kasuga experiences was meant as an accurate reflection of how the characters would really respond to Shikaru's death. Would Shikaru's passing essentially dissolve all social connections between these people? We're shown a lot of exaggerated responses. It's not weird that Yusaku or Ayuko would be strongly affected because they've known Shikaru their whole lives, but it seems unlikely that Takashi would quit his job or that the twins would become nuns. Therefore, I must conclude that the impact of Shikaru's death is exaggerated by Kasuga's subconscious fears about his current life falling apart. It's his fear of change that drives his dream narrative. It's his desire to please people, to keep them near him. And in this dream, it's a nightmare scenario because they're all vacating his proximity. They're all scattering to the wind. Ultimately, there's just too much hyperbole in this dream narrative for me to view it as a realistic depiction of Shikaru's actual social function. And I know it's all a fugazi, but Shikaru's death... And everything that went along with it, all of the imagery that came with it, was too macabre for my liking. It's one reason I don't really dig this episode. It's too many graves and coffins and the sound of dirt being shoveled onto a coffin and shit for, for my taste. And digging up Shikaru, that was too much for me as well. I mean, this is Orange Road. This is not meant to be Edgar Allan Poe shit here. And with that, we only got three episodes left. You know what's not too macabre? Head on over to patreon.com slash teamalmy. Become a patron of Team Almy Studios, the studio that brings you this fine podcast along with a couple of others. I will send you some swag if you become a patron. Everybody gets swag. You'll also get access to a whole bunch of bonus content. We do some video content, and we've got a lot more coming. You'll also get access to Patreon-exclusive podcasts. Shit happens when you party naked. So go check us out, patreon.com slash teamalmy. I would love you very, very much. And I'll send you free stuff in the mail. Also, check out Creatures of the Night podcast. It is a wacky, kooky, paranormal, conspiracy theory podcast. It's all good fun, good humor. It's not meant to be serious or political. You don't have to worry about any of that. But you need more entertainment. And I got Creatures of the Night for you. So I will put a link to Creatures of the Night in the show notes so you can go check that out quite easily. And I would appreciate you very, very much for doing so. 
We're down to just three episodes of the television series left. Fortunately, we've also got three episodes of OVA left as well. Two movies. And did I mention the entire manga series? So Avocado Cafe is going to keep rolling. The bonus content on Patreon is going to keep coming in. I want to say thank you very much to my patrons. I want to say thank you very much if you've listened to this episode. From the bottom of my heart, if you're listening right now, I appreciate you so much. And I want you to enjoy this music that I'm going to leave you with. See you guys next week.